Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you are into hunting, fishing, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. What is going on, everybody? A happy Wednesday to you out there. Thank you for joining me again for another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Today, I am joined by James Fortner, or Fort, as he likes to go by, uh, which I didn't really realize um, how much he kind of goes by that until I feel like we were kind of done talking. So I'm going to call him James anyway, but nevertheless, uh, James is the owner of uh, and founder of 2% Certified Dangles Gear. And what Dangles Gear makes is um, leashes for your sunglasses, which I think is one of the most overlooked, underutilized pieces of equipment for anyone who spends any amount of time fishing for any type of species or on the water, on a boat, um, or just playing with your kids outside or whatever. I mean, especially if, you know, it's in the summer and you're wearing glasses, it's easy take them on and off and not have to worry about them, put them on your head, fall off, anything like that. But, um, super cool gear, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into here, but James and I, it's, it's funny. So James and I, uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, when we first kind of connected, um, we, we, we spoke on the phone a little bit cause James, was afraid that maybe his story wasn't going to be one that I guess resonated, uh, with listeners, or he wasn't sure if it was going to be something that they were interested in, um, which, uh, could not be further from the truth because he has, he's got a great story. Um, he's a lifelong outdoorsman. And so we spent probably, gosh, a good half hour on the phone that first time that we spoke. And James is one of those guys where, uh, 
I just there was like a an immediate like bond kind of connection uh, that him and I had with similar upbringings, um, you know, a very similar appreciation for the outdoors, um, you know, time spent with with family members, the memories, um, you know, kind of the some of the biggest memories we we spend a good part of our conversation talking about that is about this is kind of the the suck that's that goes into hunting especially when you're a kid and getting up early and sitting in the cold and you know all these things that now as adults I think we kind of look forward to um we kind of treasure and cherish a little bit more um because you know the older we get the less opportunities we're going to have but we spend a lot of time talking about that just the memories um of you know being being young memories of the outdoors, how that helped shape us as we grew older. I mean, James grew up in Southern California. So his, you know, when he was into the outdoors, a lot of his friends and things like that, it, it wasn't uh, as commonplace for them as it was for, for James and, you know, the, the activities that him and his, his dad and his grandpa did. And so we get to, we get to share some, some really cool stories. And then obviously we get into Dangle's gear and, you know, how the idea for that came behind, you know, how that came about and really the driving force behind Dangle's gear and the reason why James started it, which I think is a great one. And he, he kind of goes into that and he realizes where he can be most effective um, and where he feels like he can help offer the most change uh, in terms of wildlife and conservation. Um, And I thought it was just a, a great outlook um, and approach that James took to uh, starting the company, why he started the company, um, and all that. And we also obviously, you know, tie conservation into it, which is kind of a, a pretty common theme, um, obviously, throughout the course of the conversation. So, uh, again, it was just a really, really enjoyable conversation. Um, for those out there listening, uh, his sunglass sunglass leashes uh, that they sell that he sells um, use code average fifty all caps a v e r a g e five zero you're gonna get fifty percent off your order uh, if you use that at checkout so I highly encourage you guys to go check these out because they're super cool uh, James was kind enough to send me a few pairs. Um, that uh, that I can try out, and I think as maybe James and I talked about offline, but I think we're going to run a giveaway probably later this spring um, as the weather starts to break here for a lot of us and uh, throw a couple of those sunglass sunglass leashes. I don't know why I stumble over that um, into the giveaway package, but if you're out there looking for a new pair, um, definitely be sure to check them out. So episode 139 with Fort. Enjoy everyone. All right, James Fortner, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you tonight? Good, man. How are you? Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> we were just having a little laugh there, and you even just chuckled there when I said your last name because I feel like you don't get called by your full last name very often because I didn't even know what your last name was prior to <laughs> 10 minutes ago here. So <laughs> I'm glad that uh, I could get a rise out of you here to start things off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, everyone just calls me Fort. It's just been it's just been that way forever it's easy to remember you know so uh it's good no that's okay so james i want to start at the beginning i guess like we'll we'll talk about you know dangles gear your company that's two percent certified but i want to kind of 
go back to the beginning. Like where, where did this love for the outdoors, um, you know, I mean, clearly anyone that's, that's checked out your gear, like knows that, that angling is something that you, uh, are certainly obsessed with. So where did, you know, just this curiosity, this love for the outdoors, where'd that all come from, man? Yeah, man. I, um, you know, I think it goes, it goes back to being, you know, little and being in the dirt, you know, we, I have, uh, my family loves being outside, you know, I mean, my, I think it came down from my, my grandfather to my father and then to me um you know my my grandpa he grew up in in Oklahoma during the depression you know so like hunting and subsistence was just kind of the way of life you know like they he took his 22 to the one room schoolhouse hunted on the way there hunted on the way home you know that was just the way that it was right different times man different times yeah for sure and so you know uh growing up we had a little uh cabin up in up in the in the mountains and so we'd go hunting and fishing you know it's just like i think when we were talking a little bit earlier it's like those days when you wake up you know in the dark you know mm-hmm. when you're a kid and you, you don't want to get up and it's cold and it's dark and you just don't want to get out of bed but you you do and then you end up having this awesome adventure you know and so i just some of my earliest memories are is that you know, waking up early in the dark with my dad and my grandpa and going quail hunting or rabbit hunting or going trout fishing, you know, and that's, that's just the way that it all kind of started, you know, and then as that progressed, you know, um, we did that more and more and I enjoyed it more and more, you know, cause like when you're, when you're little, like I said, everything is just, it's, it's too much work. Right. But then yeah, you start to sure. like, look, now you look back on it, you know, and those are, those are precious times. Those are times that you love and you would wish you could get back. back yeah you know yeah it's you know it's funny like like i recall like those exact same mornings that you were talking about like i remember you know often like my dad growing up had like a like a chevy silverado 15 i mean he had a lot of trucks but the one that kind of really comes to mind is this old chevy silverado 1500 no back seat right like just the bench seat <laughs> across yeah. the front and like i remember you know this is long before automatic starts and things like that. Right. So we, you know, get everything ready. And I, like, I recall this a lot, like duck hunting. Um, so we'd get everything all ready, get the dog in the truck, we'd get in and it's the bench, like the seat is so cold. Like everything is just cold. Right. And, you know, I'm curling up into a little ball, just like leaning up against the dog, like trying to find heat and warmth somewhere until, you know, 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, however long it takes for like a truck to warm up back in, you know, the early nineties. And yeah, those are the times that, man, I'd go back in a heartbeat just to kind of, just to relive that and knowing what I know now, like really soak those things in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could remember like a lot of those mornings, you know, like clear, right. Not just like fragments of them, you know, cause it's just like, I remember one time we went chucker hunting, you know, and we went with like a club and it was just freezing and just there's just a bunch of guys standing around just freezing together you know and then yeah. just you know that kind of stuff is just now you look back on it and you're just like man that was awesome like mm-hmm. that was so fun you know and you just you're just kind of out of your element and just kind of also experiencing something new in nature in a different way as well you know what i mean yeah and you know as as i get older and i start to like think back on on those times when i was younger it's oftentimes like 
there's certain like sports played a big part of my upbringing. So like I have a lot of memories of like sporting events and, and things like that and kind of milestones or accomplishments along the way. But I don't have, you know, the memories of like playing video games, going to like birthday parties or whatever it was like, they're all, you know, 90% of them are like revolve around the outdoors. And I think there was a, 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 a place in time where that kind of got away from everyone. Right. I mean, there was, don't get me wrong. There was certainly a lot of, you know, families who still kind of kept that tradition alive and things like that. But, you know, when I look at, you know, a lot of, you know, my friend group, friend group now, you know, they didn't grow up the same way I did. You know, they grew up maybe in a, you know, more metropolitan area or, you know, maybe, you know, they had a dad or a grandpa who hunted or fished, but they just never got into it. Right. So there's almost like this disconnect, um, I think with, with some people that don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you haven't experienced it, it's really hard to explain and put your finger on what those times meant to us when we were young. Yeah. And I think, I think probably some of it too, is just like, they were, they were hard, right? Like it was hard. It was like uncomfortable and it was, and it was different, you know? And, um, you just kind of remember like, like, Suffering isn't the right word, right? But like discomfort, right? And it's hard and you're doing this thing and you're hiking up this mountain and you're cold a minute ago and now you're sweating and like, <laughs> can't catch your breath and you're crawling through buck brush on your hands and knees, you know, and getting cut up and caught on everything. And, you know, like uh, I think all like some of our best memories in life come from like those those hard mm-hmm. moments, those hard experiences, right? And they get sunk in because it's like, you know, it's really it's it's easy to forget the times that you have it easy or the times you were like, I got to eat birthday cake and didn't do anything, right? Yeah. But the time that you had to like make a birthday cake and everything went wrong and you know, all this stuff, like that stuff sinks in. You remember that stuff. It's like a it's like a weird example, but it's like the same kind of thing, right? Like you never remember like a hike where it's like a beautiful 72 degree day. There was sunshine, right? But you remember it if it was like sleeting on the edge of snowing, there's nothing but mud, you know, you're, you're, shivering so hard you're like jackhammering like you remember that stuff you know or you remember when there's so many mosquitoes that you have to eat under a mosquito net you know and you just get bit you know all yeah. night long you know you remember that stuff and yeah I, the mosquito one is a great example i mean i was <laughs> in my i don't think i could drive yet but i was very close i was probably like a freshman in high school and uh my dad and i uh and some family friends um so it was like their dad and they're three boys, two boys. Three, I can't remember if all three of them are, or just two of them are with us. Anyway, um, the oldest son in the other family was going to check out a college in the UP here in Michigan. So we're like, oh, we'll uh, we'll go up there. We'll camp. We'll do some fishing, you know, and during the day, like him and his dad can go and check out the, the campus and stuff like that. That first night, I remember we're all in this pop-up camper that we had. And the mosquitoes were so bad or mosquitoes or blacks. I don't know. I can't remember which it was, but it was like so bad that eventually I was like, I can't take this anymore. I grabbed a blanket, a pillow, and I went and slept in the truck because I knew they couldn't get into the truck once I was already in there, as opposed to, you know, a pop-up camper that has, you know, little holes everywhere in it. And yeah, the, you don't rem- like, they're all good times, but you don't remember, like you said, the the easy times. You remember the hard times, the stuff where it was like, where, you know, you're looking back, like that was awful. Like that sucked, but it's what I remember. And that's, that. it's funny how, as you get older, 
that's what you tend to remember. And that's what you kind of lean into and, and you really kind of get satisfaction out of. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, I mean, I think we all look for, you know, challenge, right. And those, those times are challenging. I think, you know, last, last time I kind of chatted, I was talking about how I kind of like when I started fly fishing, you know, and I think this is, this is, unless, unless you have someone that's like your guide, like, you know, take you to the spot, know how to set up your rig, know every, everything yeah. you, you, you know, and for anything, anything new, you know, hunting, fishing, anything like that. It's a lot of like solitary standing out in the cold water by yourself, you know, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out, you know, no bites, you know, like I think I didn't get, I didn't catch a fish for two or three years, you know, just like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not good at fishing, you know what I mean? Like, but there's something to it, right? There's something that's balancing about it, you know, standing, standing out in that cold water grounds you you know, or, yeah. you know, being out walking through the forest, you know, and I, and I wish I could explain that to a lot of people is that like hunting and fishing isn't about the, the end result, right? No. It's, it's like the hours that you spend walking up and over ridges through forests, over deadfalls, standing in cold water. And like, you know, that, that stuff is, you know, most of the time, sometimes you don't see anything at all. You know, like yeah. I didn't catch a fish for two, three years, you know, it's, it's not about the end result, you know? And I think once you understand that, then it becomes like easy, easier to do because you're not, um, you're not set on the outcome, right? Yeah. You're set on doing, doing the thing, the experience. Yeah. Once you, yeah, you come to that, that realization that look like this isn't about me, you know, pulling a big brown out of a deep hole or something like that, right? This is about what I did to get there, you know, and that's, you know, you think about all the great, you know, hunting stories that your dad or grandpa that you tell at deer camp, or you tell when you're on the you know road trips or things like that, like the, the actual part of shooting a deer, shooting an elk, catching that big fish. Like you tell this, you know, the story is 15, 20 minutes long. And the part where you say, and I pulled this fish out is the last 10 seconds, right? Like it's, <laughs> It's almost like it's almost like a foregone conclusion a lot of times, um, or it got away, or you missed a shot, or something. But it's 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 the buildup. It's you know it's it's pages one through ninety nine, not page one hundred in the book. Yeah. And that's that's the cool thing about you know anything that's worth doing is 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 the journey to get there. Yeah, it, it's like a it's like an excuse to go out and try and find magic in the outdoors. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, I'm gonna go fishing, right? And then you just like go and try and see, go and try and find, you know, a beautiful hole that no one's ever seen. You know, mm -hmm. you try and get out there when the timing's just right so that the sun's coming up, you know, and like all those, all those things make it worthwhile. Right. Yeah. And again, those are the hard things that you remember. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously the days where if you, every cast, you catch something, those are amazing too. But those are so few and far between that, like, you know, that can't be the only reason why you go, right? Yeah. If, yeah. if you're, if you're hoping for sunny days where you, you catch a, you know, a record fish on every cast, like, you know, it, it's, it's going to be tough to find motivation to do it. Right. That's not like the real, the real yeah, reason. If, if things come easy, you're going to get bored with it real quick. Exactly. There's no challenge to it. Right. Yeah. There's no sweetness to the result. Yeah. So, you know, you start off or you grow up in a, in a family that, you know, kind of has deep roots, deep, deep traditions in the outdoors. 
are you able to kind of maintain that, you know, like through high school into college, things like that? Or was there ever kind of a time in there where, you know, it took a backseat, priorities changed a little bit? And then was it one of those things where, you know, you kind of hit adulthood or, you know, you, you become, you know, you know, standing on your own two feet, you know, you're out of college or whatever the case is, and then you get back into it or did you kind of have a, a very steady progression throughout your life? No, like, you know, it was definitely not a steady progression, you know, because like, you know, at the same time, it's like when you're when you're young, you have no um, you have nothing to compare stuff to. Right. Like you haven't lived long enough. Right. right. So like when I was in high school and stuff like that, like yeah, all I remember is being uncomfortable in the cold mornings and like mm-hmm. not a not a like kind of a way where you're just like, I, I didn't quite get it yet. Right. And also, I didn't have a lot of friends who were into it, right? Yeah. I grew up in Southern California, right? So it's kind of an oddity for me to grow up hunting and fishing. And, uh, like, on my mom's side, like, archery was, like, the sport that, like, my uncles and I did. You know, we had hay bales in the backyard, and we used to shoot archery all the time, you know? Like, that was, like, a normal thing for us. And then I get to high school and stuff, and you're just like... No one does that, you know? So, like, on the weekends after you get your driver's license and stuff like that, like, that wasn't something that I had a lot of people to do that with, you know? Right. And and throughout high school and college, um, me and my dad, we would go do horse packing trips, right? And so we go up into the Sierras or we go up into the Marble Mountains um, for, like, 10 days. You know, we pack in ice chests with, with dry ice and then you um, take all of our food in and we just hike to these high alpine lakes that, you know, you know, I don't know, maybe a handful of people get into per year. Right. Yeah. And you're just like, there's no one around beautiful lakes. You're in the high country, you know, and just like spending that time where there's, you know, no phones, no computers, no distractions. Right. You're just in this beautiful back country. And that's, that's kind of where I started to get into fly fishing because we had this old fly fishing rod and some, um, some, you know, sports chalet if you remember sports chalet uh like flies and stuff like that you know or like big five flies you know just like nothing nothing fancy and so instead of using like a spinner rod you we find we found a big pool and you know you just throw it in you could see the trout and you and you'd see him hit a dry fly you know and it was amazing like that I've was never seen a dry fly or they've probably never seen whatever you're throwing right yeah yeah exactly you know and it's like and it, and to see that you know that uh have that feedback loop of like i see the i see what i threw in i see the fly and then i see the fish hit it and then i have to react or they'll spit it out you know Mm -hmm. it's just like a whole new level of involvement right um rather than like sitting on the shore and um you know just kind of enjoying the day and waiting for something to happen yeah just sitting there watching your bobber or something like that right yeah yeah it's fly fishing is one of those things that i i see a lot of um people who are, if they're into like fly fishing, like they really like archery. Right. And I think it's, it's the difficulty of it. And that's not to say who people who fly fish don't enjoy rifle hunting or anything like that. Like I just, I notice a lot of similarities between the two activities. Um, and I think it's, it's the challenge. It's a lot is dependent upon you and, you know, making adjustments and it's very close quarters, I guess, like, especially, you know, you think about you know, you know, fishing some of these like tight streams where, you know, you've got, you know, eight feet of line out the entire day. You're just roll casting all day long, right? You're not even able to, you know, you're, you're not really doing any back casting. You're just kind of lifting up, 
putting it in, you know, move on to, you know, watch your drift, watch your float, move on to the next hole, things like that. And it can be super daunting. It can be super frustrating, especially you come up to this beautiful hole, right? And you're like, I know there's fish in there. Everything about what I'm looking at tells me that there's fish in there. You throw that first cast, second cast, maybe you've thrown 10 casts in there until you finally get that perfect drift, right? And you get a hit and you miss the fish, right? You're, you're, you've thrown, you've thrown in there 10 times. You haven't got a hit yet. So you're like, okay, maybe there is anything in there. And then as soon as you let your guard down, it's almost every time, as soon as you let that guard down, boom, you get a hit, you miss the fish. And you're like, well, that hole's blown up, right? Like move on to the next one. And it's like, so you've always got to, it's just, it's not as easy as just sitting there watching the bobber. Cause how many times do, you know, you lose sight of your fly for a second, you know, you, you itch your eye and all of a sudden you go, shit, where's my fly at? You know, and then boom, you get a hit and you're like, well, so <laughs> on to the next one. Right. And I think that's, that's one of the, the, the beauty parts about fly fishing. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you have to cultivate patience, right? Obviously. And- yeah. Like, uh, you have to kind of try and be in tune with what's going on and, like, a lot of different skills of, like, what's, you know, what's the water doing, right? How to read the water, how it's moving, where's the bottom, you know, how much line are you going to put below, like, your indicator, you know? Like like you said, like, I've been guilty of that so many times. You know, you, you cast it in 10 times and on the 11th time you get it and, and you, you're not paying attention because yeah. you thought it was just, you know. There's, you thought there was nothing there and you're like, okay, I'm just going to cast it one more time and then I'm going to move on. Right. Yep. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's an experience for sure. And I think it's, it's special for me. Um, I really enjoy the outdoors in, and like uh, experiencing it in that way, you know, and, and that's just for me, that's, that's one of the things that I enjoy, right. Whether I catch a fish or not, you know, whether I see a fish or not, you know, like, it's it's like i said it's humbling right and mm-hmm. at the same time like it's very grounding even if you don't ca- even if you don't get a bite right like you yeah. still spent half the day the entire day outside right and like the you know even though i grew up in southern california kind of by the ocean the ocean was never really like a calming thing for me i know a lot of people they 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 love their ocean people right but for me like rivers for like that that is calming for me that is peace that is that feels like life, right? It's moving and changing all the time and everything's yeah. in there. Um, you know, trying finding its own place and moving around. And and so for me, that just I, I really connected with that. And yeah. so, you know, out after college, I looked into it more to try and get into it and then um was not super successful. But then my wife and I moved to Portland. And, um, I mean, there's nothing but big rivers up there, right. And like beautiful rivers to fly fish. And so I, for my, my 30th birthday, my dad surprised me and gave me like a real fly rod, like a real fly rod and real setup. And so I was like, all right, this is it. This is a sign, right? Like I got to try and figure this out. Um, if nothing, if nothing else to just like, uh, you know, like if nothing else, you looked apart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And have another reason to go and be like, okay, well, like, hey, babe, like, do you want to go explore this river, you know, in Southern Oregon or whatever, right? And so that was just like, uh, for me, it was it was a big jumping off point. Like, I got pretty serious about it. I started reading books about it, you know, like, 
my wife was reading about gardening and I'd be reading about like nymph fishing and like how to do it, you know? And so like, um, yeah, I was like getting pretty obsessed for a while. And like, you know, YouTube is awesome, right? Like, oh, yeah. like I can't imagine trying to learn how to do a lot of things 20 years ago, you know, before YouTube. Yeah. And it just makes it so much easier. And there's so many great resources and so many, so much information that you can get for free and you can try out and, you lived in such a great place for it. You know, I, I feel really lucky, even though I was unsuccessful for such a long time. Right. So, um, but I had a great time doing it and learning and just getting to see like different parts of the state and different rivers. Like, I mean, if, if you guys haven't been able to go see the Umpqua river in Oregon, it's, it's worth your time, you know, go see Crater Lake and go see the Umpqua and there's sections of it where it's just, just fly fishing, just artificial. Yeah. And so, it's outstanding. It's amazing. You know, as you've gotten deeper into fly fishing, have you kind of found a, a niche of either, you know, a, a certain way, like whether it's nymphing, Euro nymphing, whether it's strictly dry flies, have you kind of landed on something where you're like, yeah, like this is, this is my jam. This is what I want to spend my time. If I'm going to be on the river, like this is what I want to do. Dude, I, I love dry flies. Like ever since I saw that first trout hit that dry fly on the surface, like I yeah. was hooked, you know? Um, and you just see that rise and like whenever, you know, I, I hear rises or see rises out on a lake or a river or whatever, I'm just like, I get itchy, you know, mm -hmm. and I just want to throw a dry fly out there. But like, I, and you know, to be honest, it's, it's super hard. It's like the hardest, one of the harder ones to do yeah. right? because especially you start throwing little, you know, little 18, 20, 20 size, 20 flies yeah. out there. It's like very difficult, especially if you're throwing them at, you know, targeting big fish. Um, yeah. it's insanely difficult i know I didn, I didn't mean to kind of cut you off there we were my uh my my dad is the one that got me into fly fishing and he was for for a long time he was he was really big into it i mean i've told this story more than once on here but one winter he you know spent the spent the winter in the garage he built his own drift boat oh man that's awesome. yeah yeah it was incredible and like i think it was the following summer maybe two summers after that we uh went out to montana and uh yeah, we fly, we stayed, gosh, where were we? I know we fished, we fished like the Missouri, we fished, fished the Blackfoot, some other tributaries and things like that. And we fished the Missouri one day and we fished it out of the boat because it was just, you know, bigger water, deeper water. And we got to this one section, water was real slow, but uh, you could just see, and we're kind of in the middle of the river. I mean, and it's probably 40, 50 yards wide at this point in the river. So, you know, good, good piece of water. And we're kind of, you know, in the middle. And I think my dad had me, or at first he was like, you know, he, you could see fish rising kind of along the shore and, you know, look what I think, I think after me throwing a couple flies out there and not getting any bites, he was like, you know, he kind of studied the surroundings and stuff. He's like, okay, we need to tie these on. He tied on like a like a size 22 atoms or something. I mean, the thing was smaller than your fingernail, right? And it's not like we're making short casts. I mean, he's casting this thing, you know, 30, 40 feet. And I, that was out of my wheelhouse. Like I did not have that in my bag of tricks to be able to cast something that small, that far. And then, you know, not splash it on the line and everything on the water. Cause it was very calm. It was very still. And eventually he was like, get out of the way, get out of the way, give me the rod. And he's like, just keep me in one spot. Right. And I watched him pull like three Browns out of there in about a 15 minute span, you know, 18, 19 inch Browns just on the, the smallest little fly. And like, that was just, 
so cool for me to see. And like, as I've gotten older and I've found myself in positions where I need to be able to cast a smaller fly and I still can't do it very well. It's like, man, he, he was onto something. He knew what the hell he was doing back then because I still can't do that now. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's, I mean, that's like the, that's like the art, art Mm -hmm. side, right? Like that's like the, you know, years of years of doing it wrong. And then they, they figure it out and get it right. You know, and that's, that's awesome. You know, like you guys got to fish some like epic water, like the, yeah. foot, you know, I mean, that's yeah. like, like we were like a week late for the big stone fly hatch. Like we're walking up and down the banks when we were out there and you can just see all these, you know, two inch casings just like laying on the rocks and stuff. And <laughs> my dad's like, we just like, you know, we didn't know at, you know, back then, you yeah. know, this is probably, late 90s yeah probably late 90s maybe 2000 and so yeah like maybe there was internet but it wasn't the internet like it is now right like there wasn't you weren't even thinking to use it in that way back then um so yeah it was yeah super super cool experience we did that for probably three or four summers in a row where we would kind of pick different spots and go out there and and camp for like a week and fish and, and stuff like that so yeah those are some of my my fondest memories when it comes to the outdoors and thankfully like i was old enough at the time to i feel like really appreciate it or at least appreciate it enough in the moment like in hindsight it's like you know these are trips that you know some people never get to go on. Right. And my parents were, you know, I was fortunate enough that my parents were like, yeah, like we're going, you don't really have a choice kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, talking, talking uh, about, you know, going on trips when we were kids. Right. And like this last summer, I was really fortunate. Me and my dads, we set up like 10 days. We went up to Idaho to go, to go fishing, you know, fish like the salmon river. We went up to like Stanley. And so, you're fishing the salmon river and like the different tributaries up there you know and so it's kind of like cool full circle because it's like i remember being a kid and doing this you know and then like now you know getting really into fly fishing and then um having my own kid and then like wanting to do this in the future and then going on this trip with my dad you know and being able to go fly fishing and like these epic waters you know yeah it's just beautiful you know and like I don't know if you've been to Idaho, but I really like Idaho. It's beautiful up there. Um, yeah, I've driven through uh, briefly. Um, we were out west a couple, uh, couple falls ago um, doing like a family road trip uh, in an RV, which was great. But with a three-year-old and an 18-month-old, <laughs> I don't advise it. Like, I mean, they were rock stars, um, you know, a lot of stops, this and that. But we were coming down from Bozeman down to down to Yellowstone. Uh, yeah. So we kind of like cut through, um, the, the lower part of, of Idaho there when we were uh, kind of making our way over to West Yellowstone. But yeah, it's, I wish that, uh, I could have that opportunity to like do those things that I did, you know, as a very, very young adult, 17, 18 years old as, as an adult, right? Like as, you know, I'm, I'm, pushing 40 at this point, right? Like to be able to do those things now, I think would be awesome and for you to have that experience. I had to imagine was one of those ones that you probably more than once throughout the course of the trip, just kind of stopped and were like, this, this is it, right? Like this is yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. It was awesome. You know, and to get to spend that time in a beautiful place. And then we, you know, being lucky enough to catch a couple of fish on top of it, you know, it was awesome. Right. So yeah, like I, I trying to do those trips, is I think still important. And that's like something I want to try and do with, 
with my son when he grows up, you know, yeah. he gets older and stuff. And I know that, you know, it will, he'll be a kid and he won't, he won't appreciate it at the time and he won't have fun, but I'm going to love it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I'm going to love being out there with him and take lots of pictures. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, like, so that way you can show him when he gets older, like, Hey, you did, you did come on this. We did do this together. You did have fun regardless of what you may think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And it's so, it's so easy to do that now, you know? Yeah. And which is awesome. So <clears throat> I want to make a, a very smooth transition here. And since getting into fly fishing, your company dangles gear, kind of walk me through that process. How did you get that started? Where did the idea come from? And for those who maybe don't know, what exactly does, does dangle gears dangles? Yeah. What, what exactly do you offer? Uh, tied. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, the idea is right. That, um, in my, my day job is, uh, I'm a product designer, so I want to, I, I want to try and use those skills for, um, you know, trying to do something to give back. Right. And so the idea is that, um, I want to make, uh, fly fishing products that are, you, you know, recyclable, recycled materials or sustainable materials, you know, and try and just have like a minimal impact and still have like a really good product. Right. Right. Um, and just that's that because that's just what I I would like to do. That's how I want to give back, right? I want to use that knowledge to try and do something that that uh, benefits you know um, the environment in, in in some small way. This is my trying to make a small dent in the universe kind of thing, right? There you and go. So, um, actually, the trip the we we went to we went runs in crater uh, to go to Crater Lake, and we actually spent time on the Umpqua, right? And so I had these old. Um, uh, sunglass leashes that made me look like a total grandpa and just got <laughs> rousted the entire time, the entire trip, right? Just the, like for four days, just made fun of nonstop. And so, um, I got, I ordered some other ones, you know, off of Amazon and looked around and, and, and got, um, uh, and the ones that I got, I wasn't super happy with, you know, they were either too thick or too short or too thin, you know, things that, uh, I, I wanted it to be kind of different. Right. And I thought, well, maybe this is some, maybe this is an opportunity, right. To start with like as a first product. And so, um, we, we make entirely recycled materials, uh, sunglass tethers, you know, for your sunglasses. And, and so, uh, it's pretty ubiquitous, like, you know, for fly fisher, fly fishing, uh, fly fisher men and women. And then, you know, anyone who's on a boat, you know, you don't want yeah. for sunglasses. So, this is kind of just the first kind of uh, foray into trying to make something, right? And so it's been a, a huge learning process, and it's been really tough and had all of its challenges. And um, I, it's been – I've been working on it for, like, three years now or something like that. And so it's it's kind of a, a labor of love, you know, not <laughs> – not really – not, you know, I'm not making a ton of money. I'm not making money, right? Like, I, right. My, my goal is to just try and give back and support people who are doing the great things, right? Like, right. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, I, I can't. Uh, You're not going to retire off this? No, well, like, the, the thing is, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that, and then also, like, uh, you know, I, I, I can't go and be like, I, I'm, uh, I know what's wrong with this river. I can fix this, right? Or, like, I don't know. Like I know how to uh, train people to be outdoor leaders, you know, or like 
train people to really get involved with conservation, right? So like my plan is to like, I'm, I'm good at making products. So if I can make a product and then support all the people who do things like that, right? Like, for example, like backcountry hunters and anglers, right? Or, or BHA uh, Armed Forces Initiative, right? Like with DJ, right? Like they want to yeah. train leaders and get them out there so that they can make a dent in the world, right? In their communities and bring together their communities, right? And like, I want to support that because like, I don't have that skill set. I don't have that background, right? So, yeah. So that's kind of like how I want to make a dent in the world is like try and give just like money and product and support those people who are really on the ground doing the doing hard work, right? And so, um, and that, that all comes from, you know, having a kid, right? Like I see how important uh, nature is and being outside and getting involved. And so I want to do something that I'm proud of he'll be proud of when he looks back on it and he says, my dad tried to do something right. Whether or not mm-hmm. it's a, whether or not it's a success, it, it doesn't matter. Right. Cause I'm trying. That's right. And so I want him to be proud of that. And then also like, you know, just, um, try and protect all the things that we care about, all those wild places, you know, all that open space, all those rivers, um, you know, and, and try and keep that, you know, healthy and going for the next generation and then teach them how to do it, you know, yeah. because it's like, if, you know, in, in a couple generations, like if we don't pass that down, like it's gone. It is. And there's you no know? getting it back. Yeah. Right. It's not like we're going to uncover more public land or, you know, more pristine rivers or, or national forests or anything like that. It's that, that's, that's the thing about it is you only get one shot and that's, yeah. you know, that's, sometimes lost on people that, you know, don't seem to care, but the approach that you're taking or the mindset that you have is something that I really like too, because you've recognized that you have a a certain ability, you know, when it comes to like product design and you know that if you can create a product that can help kind of fund the mechanism that is conservation or fund people who are out there, you know, kind of leading the charge, like you said, like BHA, like RMEF, like these, these organizations who, you know, have, have made it their kind of life's work to protect species or, you know, public access or things like that. So to be able to do that, I mean, there's, that's as important of, it's as important to the process the the funding and the the ability to do that as it is the people who are actually out there doing it because without the funding those people can't do their job they can't fulfill you know their organization's mission and that's I, I like that like you you've recognized like okay this is where I'm most effective right and you're like I'm gonna I'm just gonna lean into it and I think that's what some people are afraid to do right or maybe they don't take the time to figure out how they can be most effective, right? They just say, I want to do this. And it's like, well, you know, maybe that's great that you want to do that. And, and the passion and everything is is awesome. But, you know, maybe over time they realize, you know, maybe I'm a bit more effective if I do this instead. And it's not a competition, right? Like the money that you're raising through dangles is just as important as the people who are out there, you know, using that, that the funding and the donations that you are giving to be able to do that work, like every, everything, they're all pieces to, you know, one giant puzzle and the puzzle is not complete without every single piece into it. So no kudos to you, man. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. You know, it's like, and you know, I really like what you said. It's like not a competition, right? It's, right. it's not like, I think it's in a lot of, in a lot of ways, you know, um, we, I, I think, 
especially when I started, and I, I don't think it's uncommon, is like when you start something, you're like, I have to be the absolute best at whatever this is, right? Like if people are like, I want to start a business, they're like, well, I want to start Google. And it's like, that's not <laughs> that's not the way that it really is, right? Like if, yeah. if you can if you can go and do a work day, like that's amazing. Like if you can just teach your kids how to take how to pick up trash from the river and how to take care of it and like, you know, get them excited about being outside. You know, like, I mean, that's like really the end goal is like the more people you can get involved, the better off like the community is going to be. You know? Absolutely. And so it's like whatever you can do, do it, you know, even if it feels insignificant. Right. Because like, like I'm nothing special. I'm just some dude. Right. Like I'm just I'm just some dude. Right. Yeah. Same, man. So you just got to kind of do it. And even if like you got to give yourself some grace because like, you know, you can't hit it hard every day. Right. Right. And I think like right. it's. Also, social media is so, so tough because, you know, you see everybody uh, being amazing and catching huge fish and you think that that's like what it kind of is, but it's not, you know, it's, it's about, it's about just, just trying Mm -hmm. on any level and just trying to give back, you know, because whatever you can do, if that's your time or money or just being a good person and raising good kids who want to be outside, like, and take care of it. Like that's do that. That's you know? a win. That's, that's probably the most important one, right? Yeah. Like be a good human and try and raise other humans that want to take care of the world. Right. So like, if that's all you can do, like do it, you know, and be excited about it and be proud of yourself for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you made a good point there. Like, you know, have some grace for yourself and in, in the fact that, yeah, not every time you go out, you're going to, you know, clean up an entire trailhead or something like that. Right. Like, you know, maybe, you go for a hike or maybe you walk around the block in your neighborhood. Right. And there's some garbage laying on the ground. Like you maybe just, you know, you throw it in your coat pocket or your pants pocket or something like that. But what I think to kind of take what you said about, you know, raising kids to, to be good humans and to care about the environment. I think that's to take that one step further is, I mean, we both know how much of a sponge kids are, right. Whether they kind of, whether you realize it or not, like whatever you're doing, they're, they're kind of categorizing or they're cataloging like, oh, I saw mom do this or I saw dad do that. And they don't necessarily know if it's right or wrong at the time until maybe they, you know, reciprocate or repeat those actions. And then you have to have a conversation of, you know, why did you do that? Or, hey, that was amazing. Like, why, what made you do that? And they're like, oh, I saw you and mom do it, right? Like, okay, good. They, you know, they're, they're, they're learning that ripple effect of, you know, maybe it's not even your kids. Maybe it's, you know, you're, you're walking through the trailhead, you pass someone, they see you pick something up, right? Like instead of, you know, just walking by, maybe they stop and say to themselves, huh, that didn't look very difficult, right? Like that's, he, that didn't take any amount of energy or any amount of his time. And he just stopped and picked something up. Like maybe I should do that next time. It's like, it's that ripple effect. It's that kind of the, you can't quantify it because you don't see it after the fact, but the impression that we leave on people that we don't even know, I think is a big thing too. So always, you know, trying to do our best when we're out there and hopefully other people take notice, not because you want them to say, Hey, you know, what a great job that James did or what a great job that Mark did. It's no, it's so that maybe they'll have a internal conversation with themselves and say, Hey, maybe I should be doing something like this. And then you never know how far, down the line that really trickles. 
Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we first started talking about it. It's like we look back, we look back to our, our fathers and our grandfathers when we were outside, right? We look back to them and see what they were doing. Yep. Right. And so that's what that's what we're going to pass on. And that's what how we want to be when we have, you know, kids and grand, grandkids. And that's stuff your like legacy. That. Yeah. Right. Like it isn't building a business. It isn't like, you know, going out to work day. It's it's how did you affect those people down the line and how can they be a positive influence on the environment, on the community? How, you know, how are they going to how are they going to respond in the future? And that, like you said, that's going to have so much so much bigger effect Mm-hmm. down the line than like you know than a lot of other stuff right yeah so you know and i mean i really appreciate what you do right because it's like you're bringing together people and talking about you know what they do and how they get involved and like you're you're building this community around like-minded people who want to just like take care of wild places you know yeah. well, get outside well thank you i appreciate that i mean it's it's an easy job. Like, I, mean, I wouldn't even say a job. Like it's to, like to be able to like have conversations with like-minded people or, yeah, I mean, for the most part, like-minded people, but who come from different backgrounds or, you know, who are really into things that I'm not when it comes to the outdoors. Like I, I love hearing stories about that. Right. Because there's usually, you know, nine times out of 10, I come away with the conversation having learned something or gotten a different viewpoint or just, just met someone really cool, right? Like, like worst case, like, yeah, I, I had a conversation about conservation for 45 minutes or an hour. And yeah, I may never talk to the person again, but we had a really cool conversation. And that's, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, stick my nose up at something like that, because everyone's got a cool story, whether they think so or not. You know, the fact that, you know, for you know the last two and a half years, the 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 number of listens and downloads continues to grow. And that to me is a 100% testament to the people who come on and share their stories. Because like I said, I tell the same freaking stories, you know, every other week. So people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they probably like use the little app on their phone. They're like, skip forward 15 seconds, skip forward. Like when they hear me start to tell a story that they've heard before, right? Like, but they, they want to hear the guests. They want to hear, you know, where they come from, you know, you know, what products that they're making, you know, they want to hear their cool stories about growing up because there's probably going to be something that's super relatable to you know, what they've gone through or what they're into. And I think that's what the average person like you and I like is listening to someone who's relatable, right? Like, you know, like, I don't want to say, you know, like, you know, you listen to someone like Cam Haynes or Steven Ronella, like these big names kind of in the, in the hunting industry. And, you know, they, yeah, like they would probably tell you like, yeah, like, yeah, we're just normal guys. It's like you are, but that's also like you're living a different life than me. And, and it's not to say like, Oh, they didn't work for it or anything like that. Like that, that's not like the conversation I'm trying to have, but it, a lot of times it doesn't feel relatable. Right. You know, when, when guys are hunting, you know, six or eight, you know, five or six different States for elk and they're putting, you know, 300 plus inch bulls on the ground, you know, every state that they go to, you're like, yeah, like I, I can't relate to that. Right. Like I can take a trip out West once every four years because that's just what I can afford or that's what my time allows whatever. So like, sometimes it's just not relatable and listening to people who are, I think is something that really kind of draws people in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that the, that you have that ability to build that community and bring those stories forward is huge. Right. Because it's like, you know, like you're, you're shining light on all these people who otherwise would never, you know, never, 
tell these stories out loud yeah. on, on the internet, right? Because it's yeah. like, like I, I, I hate talking about myself. Like I don't like those feels weird, right? Like I mean, we were talking about before. Like I was like, I'm super nervous, right? Like I've never done this before, so. You know that what you do is really important, right? Yeah, oh. being able to talk to like people like DJ, you know, DJ yeah, support, right? Like awesome, that was an awesome, awesome, awesome episode, awesome guy, right? And I mean, like DJ is one of the reasons why you know we're talking right now, and this mm-hmm. project's even gone off the ground, right? Like I first kind of got connected with Two Percent for Conservation because I thought they were doing awesome stuff, and before I even had product, right? Before I even did anything, I reached out to them and I talked to Jerry Frazier. And he, he was amazing. Awesome. He's a rock star. He's a rock star. Dude, that guy. So awesome. And so, you know, he got me excited and like, you know, it was kind of one of those moments where you, when you talk to someone who's not in your family, you know, and they're like, this is a good idea. And you're like, okay, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe this can happen. Right. Like maybe I should actually try it. And so I talked to him and then I talked to DJ and then those guys, you know, I can't thank them enough. They got it. They basically, you know, gave me like a, a gave you the push start yeah, yeah right because otherwise it might just be an idea still, yeah right? well that's i think you know i think anyone who kind of branches out and does their own thing or you know pursues a passion project or starts their own small business right like there's always that kind of come to jesus moment where you're like this is either going to be i'm either going to try this and it's going to be you know some level of successful it could crash and burn or in five years, it's just going to be an idea that I had that I never did anything with that I wish I would have. And it's amazing what happens if you just kind of take that leap, right? Like, you know, prepare yourself and, you know, do what you need to do to, you know, hopefully put yourself in a position to be successful. But at the end of the day, you just, you got to go for it. Right. And you got to be prepared to fail and you've got to be prepared to succeed as well. And, you know, I think kind of having a, a level head on your shoulders is a big thing. And I like that you said that, someone when you know jerry was like oh this is a great idea and you're like oh someone other than family because i felt (laughs) the same way when i was telling everyone about the idea for the average conservationist and you're like i didn't know how much was just lip service right like how many people were just like yeah yeah marcus cool idea cool idea bro like go for it yeah because that's what i wanted to hear as opposed to people who are like no like i think that's really cool i think it's a good idea and you know three years later three and a half years later so yeah i'm glad that people you know, kind of pushed me because I wouldn't certainly wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have started a podcast um, had it not been for, you know, starting the apparel company first. So. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, like when you, when you allow magic to happen, sometimes it does. Right. And so like what (laughs) you said, like you gotta, you gotta be ready for to win or to lose, you know, or win or learn, right. You win or you learn. And so you gotta be in the game though to to figure it out. And that's hard. Yeah. So f- as far as being, uh, you know, 2% for conservation certified, what are some of the organizations that you're trying to donate to or that you plan to donate to as the company continues to grow? Uh, so right now through the website, um, it automatically deducts 1% and donates it um, and it splits it up right now. Right now we're set up with uh, uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. We're set up with uh, Trout Unlimited. Uh, Mayfly Project, uh, Project Healing Waters, and Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. Partnership. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Great organizations. Yeah. And the 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 Mayfly one I had not heard of, but that's another cool thing. 
is learning about all these these different you know organizations that people are passionate about excuse me or that people um you know want to give back to because there's so many amazing organizations out there that you know that aren't RMEF that aren't BHA that aren't Mule Deer Foundation but are still doing incredible work for you know whatever species or you know land trust or whatever it is uh out there so no that's a cool one i, I I'm not surprised by the name of it and, and it's one that you've decided to support, but yeah. no, that's, that's super cool. Yeah. They're really cool. Did you, I mean, I don't know how much you know about them, but like they're, they're really cool because they do uh fly. They for foster or um, for like uh, foster kids, they do, mm-hmm. they do mentorship and they're oh, that's they awesome. through fly fishing. Right. So like they have uh, foster kids and then they have mentors and then they, they meet up and then they go and, you know, spend a day on the river and they teach, kids how to fish how to be involved with the environment how to fly fish it's awesome right teach so, kids how to be patient yeah you know and it's, <laughs> it's that next generation thing right yeah You're trying to make that ripple and so i think that education part is really really important right and obviously i'm bad at fly fishing so i <laughs> i cannot i cannot do that myself but if i can help support them like i think it's a great cause you know yeah no that's awesome james before i let you get out of here man where can people find your products, where can people find you on social media, all that good stuff? Uh, Dangles Gear for everything, danglesgear.com, uh, Dangle Gear, Dangles Gear on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I, I, I run all that stuff. So if you guys reach out, you get you get me, right? You get so, James. You, yeah. So please reach out, say hi. You know, if there's any issues or problems, like just reach out. We'll make it right. And uh, uh, obviously, uh, I made a discount code for for you um it's average 50 so it's 50 percent off uh all caps and uh yeah hope to to see you guys meet you guys in person i hope i hope one day we can meet and hang out yeah i know so i gotta say that you sent me uh we talked what i mean probably over a month ago we were trying to figure out a time to we just kind of made some introductions and I called you on my way home from work one day and I think I talked to you for, like I said, a good half hour. Like this feels like podcast 2.0. Cause we feel like we, <laughs> we kind of did it one time already, but you sent me a couple um, of your sunglass leashes. I don't, what's the proper name for these? Is it just like a sunglass leash or a tether? Or... Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't think there's a wrong name for them, but yeah. I, you know, I call them a tether. Yeah. Right? yeah. I've got them. I've got them sitting right here next to my desk and they are, they're awesome. Like as soon as I, I got them, I threw one pair in the truck on my sunglasses that I wear every day. And yeah, these are awesome. I've got another one with my fishing sunglasses. For those out there listening, like you guys can't go wrong. There's three or four different styles that are going to fit whatever it is that you like. And they're from 100% recyclable, recycled material. So it's a win-win all the way around, guys. I, I okay. highly encourage you to check them out and grab a pair. It's it's a very inexpensive purchase, um, but no one wants to lose their sunglasses. I mean, you said it yourself. The first time you bend over to like and you're in the river or you're on a boat and for whatever reason, those glasses fall off. Like they don't come back. You're not getting those back. So do yourself a favor and grab a pair. (laughs) Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and what you do and having me here is awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and for those listening again, uh, code average 50, all caps, um, to save 50% on your order over at dangles gear, which I, uh, highly encourage you guys to check out James Fortner. Thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. It was great uh, catching up and I look forward to doing this again soon. Thank you, man. Yeah, me too. It sounds good. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. All right. Well, thank you again to Fort for joining me today and and sharing his story uh, with us. 
if you missed uh, the uh, in the beginning here, uh, use code AVERAGE50, all caps, at checkout when you uh, head over to Dangles Gear and do some shopping there. You're going to save 50% off your order there. So you can't go wrong. Uh, I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, and of course, 2% for Conservation. Uh, be sure to support those companies that I just mentioned. Um who support this podcast and help make it possible um, and who are also doing uh, tremendous work in terms of giving back and conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media. It's going to be only positive conservation-driven content landing in your feed there. So uh, you're going to enjoy that. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode with Fort. Um, For those listening, if you are going to be at the Western Hunt Expo this coming weekend, uh, be sure to stop by or look for, excuse me, the hard side hydration booth. Uh, I'm going to be out there for a few days hanging out with, uh, with my buddies, Dane and Dustin and, uh, hopefully recording some podcasts with uh, some people out there. So you guys should have uh, some great content, some great episodes um, coming in the near future. So uh, yeah, stop by, say hello. Um, Yeah, we can chat. But until next week, stay safe out there. And remember, conservation starts with you.